Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. The ISO with Dan Dickow and SB Live Sports, brought to you by the Believe Podcast Network, the number one podcast network for professionals. Here's Dickow from the deep corner for three. Uh-oh, uh-oh. It's on now. Downtown Dan connects. Every morning when I'm working out, I'm listening to your podcast. Keep up the great work. I mean, I've seen Dan Dickow hit some big shots in the NCAA tournament. <laughs> I got to salute you, man. Like, I've been watching you since I was in high Me. school trying to mimic all your moves. Welcome to today's episode of the ISO with myself, your host, Dan Dickow for SB Live Sports. Today's guest, one of my favorite coaches that I get to cover in college basketball with the number of networks that I work with, he's got a new stop. He's the head coach at the University of Utah, I believe, and he can correct me if I'm wrong, they are the running Utes. Coach Craig Smith, thanks for joining. It's it's nice to get you on today. I apologize for the technical difficulties in getting this recording started, but thanks for joining. Oh, man, I'm so fired up to be here. Thanks for reaching out, Dan. I know it's been a work in progress for a while, um, and I appreciate the kind words. And I would echo those sentiments, getting to know you over the last few years with the different games that you um, called uh, or were the color commentator. Um, when we were at Utah State, it was uh, we had some fun meetings behind the scenes before um, the games. And then, you know, as a coach, we always obviously watch our games and and I've always, not only watching our games, but in preparation for our opponents, you, you did a lot of our opponents, right? And just, you have obviously, you know, your accolades as a player speak for themselves. And, but you have such a great, um, I think, feel for the game and understanding of the game. And you do a great job of articulating that um, to the viewers. And I'm not just saying that to say that you truly are one of the best out there. And as a coach, you know, and, and as a fan and a spectator, everybody kind of sees the game a little bit differently, right? And I've always thought, um, I've learned some things from you, from what you said and how you articulate it. But I think at our core, we see the game in a very similar way. And, and, and so it's always fun to learn from different people and get different ideas. But um, um, I've always enjoyed your broadcasts and the way you go about it. And then bumping into each other in AU circuit a little bit. It's been pretty cool and seeing your son play uh, a couple times and his passion and his energy and his tenacity. And uh, uh, he plays like someone else I know. <laughs> <laughs> well, I appreciate those words. And yeah, I'm, I, I enjoy coaching my son and it has been nice running into you. I think I ran into you in Phoenix, Boise and Beaverton. So uh, it's funny because we've got kids the same age, I guess that leads me into the next question pretty easily. You're a coach at a really high level. You've got kids that enjoy the game. They play for AAU teams that you can't necessarily be involved with because of your role in college basketball. How easy for you or how difficult is it for you to watch them in those settings knowing what you know? Man, that's a great question. You know, I've been fortunate. My my kids have been very fortunate. They've been able to play for some really good coaches and programs. And, you know, there's some things I can say and can't say just because of the NCAA rules. But, you know, it, it, when I was younger, especially just I've always, you know, 
I would advise everyone out there. There's a, a, a documentary on Michael Jordan, whether you love him or not like him, but it's called Jordan to the Max. And it's a 47 minute documentary. And I'm telling you, if you haven't seen, we watch it every year with our team. And, and I love sending it to other coaches. It's $4.99, $4.99 on Amazon. Easy to get. Um, we watch it as a family once a year. But I always remember this interview. It kind of goes through Jordan's last year with the Bulls. It's kind of his last dance. I know they had the last dance uh, um, series or whatever you want to call it last year during COVID. But um, they asked Michael Jordan when his kids were young. And trust me, I'm not trying to say I'm Michael Jordan. But they, they asked him, what advice do you give to your kids? How will you? And he just said, when your kids are young, I want them to have fun. I want them to love the game because they love the game. And, and then when they start loving the game and they have passion for the game, they'll start asking you questions, right? Your son will ask you questions. My son, my, my children will ask me questions. Michael Jordan's kids will ask him questions if they're passionate and they love to play. So that always really resonated with me. I wanted them to have passion for it, love them. Uh, if they ask me questions, I'll answer it. But I don't want to be a helicopter parent. I want, you know, our kids know, like, no matter what you do, whether it's playing basketball or football or track and field or you're in school, you do the very best that you can, right? And give everything you got at all times. And, and the other stuff will come through skill development and your, your thirst for knowledge. And so... Is it frustrating at times? Yeah, it can be frustrating at times, but I also got to take a step back and say, you know what? I do this for a living, right? This is, you know, this is, you know, uh, sometimes, you know, whether it's AU or when kids are even younger, they're volunteering their time. They're doing it because they want to help kids and they want to make a difference and, and, and help them grow. And they love to do it, but maybe they don't have the experience. I mean, this is 26 years for me. And I still, and far from where I need to be. You know what I mean? You're always growing and developing. So yeah, I've been fortunate. Our kids have had great coaches, coaches that truly care about them, have their best interests at heart. You know, I've never had to worry. Are they treating them badly, right? Are they doing something they shouldn't be doing away from the court? All those kind of things. They treat them with respect. They treat them the right way. Or, you know, and so the other things will come in time as they grow and develop. So our kids have been very fortunate, but certainly there's, there are some times and, you know, I've been lucky too. They'll ask for advice. I'm never going to throw my advice to them, you know, um, but they'll ask for advice and it's fun to be able to share different ideas. Not that my way is always the right way. Certainly not, but it's always fun as a coach, as you know, to bounce different ideas off each other at a lunch or a dinner or just an evening together. And I think that's what makes that's part of what makes coaching such a cool uh, and unique um, profession. That's awesome to see the perspective that you have in the parental parental role, as well as the coaching role with, with you know, your kids coming through it. Now, when you look at your coaching path and your coaching career, you go to all these evaluation period tournaments all the time. Has your approach changed in the last year since you moved on from Utah State, where you did a tremendous job, to now being at a Pac-12 school, Utah, does your focus have to change in your evaluation and your recruiting? 
Um, it's still to be determined. You know, uh, I do, you know, I've been very fortunate. I've, I've been, a, um, you know, this is entering year 11 as a head coach. And, um, and I've been, you know, this is year 26 in the coaching profession. I started when I was 22 years old. I've been fortunate to work at every level, NEI, Division II, um, low major, mid-major, high major. There are some differences um, at each level, especially when you get to this level. And I was an assistant at Nebraska for two years. So being at the high major level, you know, it's you're, you're the higher you go, you know, your, your, your talent pool shrinks. Right. And so, you know, you really gotta, you got, I think you probably got to make some decisions earlier and really hone in to certain specific guys at an earlier time um, and recruit them while they're younger and really build relationships at its core though. Recruiting doesn't change. I'm a relationship guy. Our staff is all about relationships. I want to know that specific prospect inside out, backwards and forwards. What makes that guy tick? What is that individual all about? I want that prospect to know me as the head coach inside out and backwards, because it's easy to sit here and talk about the NBA and talk about this and talk and sell sunshine. Right. And our guys are going to have a great experience by how we do it. Our track record shows that. Uh, however, it's not all roses. You know, it's not all cookies and cream, right? I mean, there, there's some phenomenal times and there's some tough times and you better be able to trust one another, right? I got to be able to trust that recruit if he comes here and that recruit's got to be able to trust me and our coaching staff and all of our support personnel. So there's definitely some differences. I, I think a big one is just honing in and making some decisions, both in terms of, you know, how that prospect plays the game Right. And does that fit our style of play? And then what's his character? You know, what makes, like I said, what makes that guy go? Talent will determine their ceiling, right? But their character de determines their floor. And so really getting to know that individual and does he jive, you know, does he jive with how we go about things? Is he going to fit in well with our culture? So for the most part, it's going to be the same no matter where we're at. But obviously, as we go through this thing, we are going to see some you know, some nuances and some things that are a little bit um, different as we progress. Well, I'm excited to see year one for you at Utah uh, because I, I think they've they've traditionally been a really good team in the Pac-12 uh, under Coach Kristoviak, and I know you're going to have your own uh, thoughts and philosophies to, to bring to the program and, and hopefully get them uh, to be a continual NCAA tournament uh, participant. But what you did at Utah State, I really enjoyed watching your teams play. You played with a ton of space. You played with a lot of different actions. You played with a lot of misdirections. Uh, but you also played to your best players, and that was Sam Merrill and Namiyash Keita the last couple of years. Tell me a little bit about how you build your philosophy and then implement that philosophy based on the players that you do get. Yeah, it's such a good question. You know, um, you know, obviously we, we did, we had, we had three amazing years um, and what we were able to accomplish three straight NCAA tournaments and two conference tournament championships and a regular season championship. And, um, you know, people forget we were picked ninth that first year out of 11 teams and, and we had an amazing group of people. I mean, we, we really, I mean, the group of guys that we had all the way around 
coaching staff, support personnel, and our players. Our players were smart, tough, and reliable. We don't, we always we tell our guys at least once a week, we want smart, we need to be smart, we need to be tough, and we need to be reliable. And, and it's got to be all three. If you're two of the three, that's not good enough, right? If you're one of the three, it's certainly not. You got to be all three. Our guys really bought in. We played really selfless basketball. What, you know, the other piece people don't talk about, we, we were top 10 every year defensively in, in defensive field goal percentage, made teams earn every basket for the most part. And then we were selfless. You know, we were third in the, and I know a guy like you can really appreciate this. We were third in the country in assists. In year one, we were sixth in the country in assists in year two, and we were 12th in the country in assists in year three. Now, you might say that's a downward trajectory, but when you have 357, 358 teams, that's that's incredibly impressive. Our guys really played for each other, and I think when you have those kind of assists, it just shows trust that you've built in your program and chemistry, and, you know, we want to do it the same way here. Um, you know, you got to, you know, we, we do it. We, we try to give our guys a lot of freedom with com- with more freedom comes more responsibility, but we don't want our guys to be robots, Dan. We want our guys to be players. And if you got a thoroughbred and you are constantly pulling the reins back on the thoroughbred, you know, the thoroughbred's never going to be as good as he can be. Right. And so, you know, uh, obviously Merrill, I think as a sophomore might've been a third team, all league guy. I can't remember for sure if he was, he really worked hard to improve his body, lost a bunch of weight and, and got in the weight room and worked on his nutrition, got more athletic, became more and more skilled. I always remember my first year. And as you know, Dan, we're not an ISO team. We are a move the ball. The action will take care of the offense. The ball creates energy. But early on, we drew in the summer, our first year, we drew up an ISO play for Sam and he turned it over. Then we drew up another ISO play for Sam. And he turned it over again and he turns to me and he goes, coach, ISO basketball isn't my deal. And I said, yeah, I can see that, (laughs) you know, like, but, um, but you know, that last, the going into that last year, that summer, the, the feedback he got from the NBA and that we'd said to him, was like, you've got to get better ball in hand and improve your pull-up J. Not that it was bad, but it needs to be better. You got to tighten up your handle where you can do some more of those things. And, you know, in the conference tournament that year, Right. He, we go one, four flat 10 times. We had never done one, four flat. We're coming out of the locker room of the quarterfinal game against New Mexico is a tie game. And, but we were a little bit of a root canal that day on offense. I said, Sam, what do you see? What do you feel out there? He's like, coach, I can take my guy anytime, no matter who's guarding me. He never told me that in two years. So as a coach, I think it's important to listen to your players. Yeah. You know, you, you build some of these guys, they build credibility right? Uh, uh, and so you know who to trust and who's got great self-awareness to them. And I, whether it's Sam Merrill, Diogo Brito, Quinn Taylor, like I listen to our players. And we just put in one four flat the second half of that game. We, we ran it 10 times in the tournament. We scored nine out of 10, including the, the, the shot, right, where he made to beat San Diego State to go to the NCAA tournament. That was simply one four flat. And so it's not rocket science sometimes. But um, you know, in terms of our style, we're going to incorporate the same style here, Dan, but you got to play to your strengths. You know, Sam could do it all. He was an elite scorer, but he was an even better passer. So he was our one guy in our team 
Abel Porter to some extent, but Sam, Sam can make plays for everybody and make the right play. Yeah. Right. Kata just kept evolving, right. As an offensive guy. So we ran more and more. And then last year he took the reins and he was the primary scorer for us. Although we were very, very balanced, but most of the stuff we ran for was for him in terms of our stats. And, you know, Don Meyer, the late Don Meyer, phenomenal coach was at uh, Lipscomb university for, for forever Northern state. He had opportunities to go D one. He just didn't want to go down that road unbelievable mentor to me as well as coach miles but coach meyer always said run special plays for special players <laughs> and and like listen basketball and i know i'm a bit of a run-on sentence here but you know football has it easy and i love football but everybody it's built in everybody knows what the quarterback does everybody knows the different job you know running back runs the ball and obviously he'll catch a few passes. what does a wide receiver do catches the ball a tight end, a little more ambiguity. You got to block and catch. All the offensive linemen, go block, right? So there's built-in definitions. Basketball, hockey, soccer to some extent. To me, they're all the same. You have synergy. Like, you got to play offense. You got to play defense. You got to play special teams. If you turn it over, if you miss a layup, you can't sit there and regroup in a huddle. You got to sprint your butt back and guard the ball and get a stop and box the guy out. and. So, you know, I want to keep our same style of play. It's a little bit unique at this level. You know, people ask, what's her style? And I'd like to say it's the winning style. So, you know, in, you know, in, in our first year in the, in the Mount West, we had to win 95-90 in the quarters. In the semis, I think we won 95-60. to 60. And then the title game, we had to win 64-57. So you got to be able to win – in a lot of different styles. And in the Pac-12, there's a lot of different styles. So, you know, we're still going to do our core where we give our guys a lot of freedom. We'll do a lot of stuff. We steal a lot of stuff from the NBA. Um, spacing needs to be impeccable, but really sharing the ball, moving the ball, recruiting guys. You know, we have eight new guys on our team. Uh, it's been exciting, though, Dan. You would think that these guys have been playing together for a couple of years. We have great synergy our chemistry off the floor has been outstanding. Now everybody thinks they're going to be playing 35 minutes a night. So we'll, <laughs> we'll see how that changes. You know, when we, yeah, that changes oh, early oh. October to <laughs> mid November when games really get going, that's for sure. But no you know, I love the fact that you mentioned the shot because that was the last game that I called in the COVID shortened season when the NCAA tournament was canceled. So you were at Utah state and then you had another year where you guys were tremendous and you had Utah State competing for Mountain West titles. And Mountain West is a really good league. But your neighbor to – I don't know my geography off the top of my head. I believe it's your neighbor to the south, the University of Utah, comes calling. How difficult of a decision was that for you to move to a kind of an in-state rival-type school? Yeah, there's a lot of things that come into play. You know, uh, I love Utah State. It was a, you know, it was three just amazing years, both professionally, which everybody wants to talk about, but personally too. I mean, I've been married, you know, for 26 years. I have four incredible children. My oldest son, Landon, is a junior now at Utah State. He loves it. Never entertained the idea of transferring to University of Utah. Now, 
he wears his running Utes gear a lot, <laughs> but he's still in the herd, which is his student section. Uh, unbelievable student section for Utah State. Goes to every football game. You know, he'll go to every basketball game. Loves sports. He, he loves Utah State. Who knows what my son Brady will do? You know what I mean? If he plays at a lower level or walks on at a, a higher level, I mean, that's to be determined. But, you know, it's a special place with special people, special fans. Um, and at the end of the day, the way, you know, my wife and I are small town kids and we're not, we're going to go to places where we feel like our, our family is in a great situation first and foremost. And so we went to left for anywhere, but the university is like Utah state. And I know it can be tough for Utah state fans when you leave to a local school, we love living in this state, the people here the rich tradition of excellence at Utah State, at the University of Utah, at Weber State, at BYU, right? Uh, all the way down, this state is in love with basketball. It's always been important to me as a certainly personally, to live in a place where our family can thrive, right? Where all four of my kids and, and my wife has great friendships and myself. And then professionally, I always want to, to be at a place, I, I, hes I hesitate to call it work because I literally, uh, you know, my mom and dad works. My mom ran her own daycare for 34 years. My dad was a, ran his own auto body shop for, you know, well, didn't own one right away, but worked his way up and, you know, started in his own. He killed it. Um, they done incredibly well. They worked. Like I get to do what I love to do. I'm so passionate about this, but I've always wanted to be at a place where the fans care they truly care and they're passionate and they have high expectations, right? And, and that's important to me. And so when you combine all that stuff, along with being in the Pac-12 and RAD, Mark Harlan, I've, that's the other thing I've been super steadfast about is you better be in a place where you have great leadership at the top. Because if you don't, <laughs> it can be incredibly frustrating as a coach and as an assistant coach and as a program, when the people at the top don't get it or are not supportive, and Mark Harlan, our AD, has been unbelievable that way, and his administrative staff. So when you add all that stuff up, you know, it really was one of those things, as I did my research on Mark, I knew the rich tradition. My first Final Four ever was 1998, and I said this at our press conference, and it was the Kentucky Wildcats against the uh, the University of Utah running Utes, right, with Coach Majerus and, wow. and that incredible team that they had. And we have such a rich tradition of excellence here, regardless if it was Pac-12 or the Mountain West and so on and so forth down the line. And people here love their basketball and they'll support it. And, and I said it when I got hired at Utah State, and I said it here as well. Our brand of basketball, I think people appreciate how hard we play, how unselfish we play, how connected we play and the passion and the energy that we have. And so we're going to do the same thing here with the university of Utah. So um, it's always tough when you leave an amazing situation and what we were able to do together at Utah state. And they have an incredible fan base, but at the same time, you know, um, going to the PAC 12 and everything that that entails. I mean, what was it? Five teams from the PAC 12 made the sweet 16 last year, you know, and, that was one of the hardest things with our job at Utah State is scheduling 
yourself where if you don't win that conference tournament championship, you still have an opportunity to get in that large bid. And that is an incredibly hard thing to do. We were fortunate we were able to do it every year to piece it together, right? And then had those marquee wins, which you need to do, you know, whether it was LSU or St. Mary's our first year and Florida last or two years ago as well. We were able to knock off those teams. Um, a lot of things got to go right for you. And of course, up there, you can't get anybody to play you at home. I mean, you know, <laughs> no, I mean it's that's... been almost 20 years since a high major has been played at the spectrum and you've called games there. That place is a, it's an incredible home court and we're aiming to make, you know, this place an incredible home court in the Huntsman center. Yeah, you're right. The, the spectrum in Logan is a very fun place to call games, especially when you're playing well, which you had them playing well the last few years, but I love the passion that you talk about Utah basketball, you know, not just Utah with the running Utes, but also Utah state, Weber State, BYU. What is the biggest rivalry in state now that you've been there? Is it Utah State, Utah? Is it Utah, BYU? I don't want to get you in trouble here too early in your tenure in Salt Lake City, but which one do you think is the biggest rivalry? Well, I mean, I that's a I just haven't experienced this one firsthand yet. So and I know I sound like I'm going to take the politically correct answer because I just don't. <laughs> I truly, I haven't experienced this one yet. I will say, you know, um, my first two years at Utah State, we had what was called the Beehive Classic. And so it was a three-year, it was either a three or six-year agreement. And you just, all, it was the four teams involved were University of Utah, Utah State University, BYU, and Weber State. So like the year before I got hired, I think was at Utah State, was the first year Utah State played Utah in Vivint Arena, right? The Utah Jazz home arena. And then BYU played Weber. And then my first year at Utah State, we played Weber and BYU played University of Utah. And in my last year, we played BYU and, and Utah played Weber State. I loved it. I thought it was great. Um, you know, it's on a neutral court. It's in the center of basketball, right? On the Jazz Arena, right in downtown Salt Lake City, where... Obviously, it was a really short drive for us. I mean, we're seven minutes from the arena, but it's an hour drive for Provo. It's an hour drive from Logan and, you know, a half hour, 45 minutes from Ogden, which is where Weber State was. And I thought it was great because it became a who's who of basketball. You know, when we played BYU that year, there Donovan Mitchell was at center court in the front row, along with a few other Utah Jazz players. Right. And so all the fans from each respective school came out and supported it in a big way. I thought it was a great event, you know, and unfortunately, it, for whatever reason, I don't know the politics or why it, it's not going anymore. I would love to do that again. I think it's awesome. And so um, um, but I will say this is where I was going with this. The, my first year when we played Weber, um, uh, when Utah and BYU played, it was, I mean, it was red and blue everywhere. <laughs> it was packed in it, that environment. It felt like an NCAA tournament game, right? Because it was a yeah. neutral floor. And um, it, it gives me goosebumps thinking about it. Uh, I'm so excited about being a part of that. But at the end of the day, you're right, Dan. There's so much pageantry here and so much tradition. 
you can go right down the line of all the, whether Salt Lake Community College, like they have a rich tradition. Almost every school in our state in men's basketball has been so good. And there's a lot of local players that stay home and play and represent their respective university with tremendous pride. Well, I'm looking forward to watching your team this upcoming season. Hopefully I get assigned a game or two uh, in Salt Lake City. Give us a little bit of an outlook on your team. I know you said you've got a number of newcomers. You're going to implement your spacing style of basketball, which I, I said I love to watch when you're at Utah State. Give us an outlook for this upcoming year for, from you. Yeah, I'm really excited. It's a great group. It's a group that has an attitude that craves improvement. They love being in the gym and uh, get along so well. And they, they, it's been a group that's been very, very coachable. I thought we had a great summer. You know, the first five weeks of the summer in our team workouts wasn't aesthetically pleasing, but I thought the last two and a half, three weeks, our guys really showed like crazy promise and started figuring it out. But, you know, um, you know, I don't know, like I, I'm excited. I'm, I'm cautiously optimistic. Um, I think we have a lot of guys that fit our style of play, it, which is a high skill level. Skill level. We have some guys that can make some shots, and and we really want to be good defensively. But like anything, we the exciting part is I thought we had a great summer, and then we had that about a month time to keep getting better before practice starts, and now we got about another five weeks to keep climbing the ladder. ladder and I thought we had an amazing first week of practice. We didn't have one bad pra practice. I couldn't tell you one guy that was bad i think we're starting to you know figure out like four or five guys that are just consistent every day right they show up every day and you know exactly as a coach and as a teammate what you're going to get out of those five guys then i think we got a group of like you know number five or number six through like 12 or 13 where it's like every day there's like a new guy that shows you some things that you were either anticipating consistently or maybe they're doing some things that you didn't know they could do. And it's like every day there's one or two of those guys that really shine. And so I think we have some depth to our program, you know, and so what that depth does for us, I guess we'll see. But at the end of the day, we're going to, some of these guys I anticipate just keep getting better and becoming those steady Eddie guys where you just know what you're going to get. But I think we're going to have a team that plays super hard, that plays super competitive. We got a lot of guys that love to win and are going to find different ways to win. And so now we just got to bring it all together. You know, we're still putting in, like we put in some presses yesterday, right? Uh, we added our zone yesterday. And so on those days, it's kind of like, they kind of look at you like a little, like, are you crazy? You know what I mean? Like, uh, because it, it can become information overload. Yeah. And we do... We put a lot of onus on our players. We expect our guys to be incredibly prepared. I think that was a big part of our success is we could really game plan for our opponents at Utah State. We had some smart dudes that could really follow a game plan. And so now getting these guys caught up to speed that way of understanding guarding personnel and understanding what we're trying to do conceptually and, and to see if we can handle it. Some guys can, some guys aren't there yet. But it's our job as a coach, as a coaching staff, to get them to that point. Uh, but it's always a fine line as a coach, right? If you give guys too much, right, the brain slows their feet down. And we don't want them to be playing where they're overthinking. We want them playing instinctually. 
But we as coaches got to find out who can do that, who can handle it, and who can't. And then it's on us to put our guys in the best position to succeed, you know, as a team with the right lineups and understanding who can do what that way. So I'm excited. The Pac-12 is a great league, and it's deep, and everybody's talking like this is going to be the deepest this league has been in a long, long time. So where we end up, nobody knows. The old cliche, let's get 1% better every day. And up to this point, I feel like our guys have done a great job with that. Well, I look forward, as I mentioned, to seeing the growth in your program in year one. And if things are anything like they were at Utah State, the other teams in the Pac-12 are going to have some things that they have to deal with in the coming years. So, Coach, I appreciate you for joining. I know we've tried to, to line up our schedules. And uh, I'm not blaming you. I'm blaming me because I get busy. Uh, with a big family and different business ventures and everything. But I appreciate the time, and I learned a lot in the last 30 minutes listening to to your passion for the game. So thanks again, Coach. Hey, thanks for having me on, Dan. Great to connect with you, and hopefully we'll see you at a, a game this year or two. The ISO with Dan Dickow and SB Live Sports, brought to you by the Believe Podcast Network, the number one podcast network for professionals. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.